All right. <laughs> Isn't that cool, though? Um, thank you to Coke for pulling it off for us. But, I mean, that's the spirit of what we're trying to communicate, that the home is a beautiful, wonderful, messy, exciting place to be a part of. And what a gift that it is to be a part of a family. Okay? This series, uh, Home Improvement, is designed to do this. And here's we talk about why this series. Here's what our hope is as we talk about this series, that we would like to give vision, help, and hope for families, marriages, and parents. Okay, that's a bit of a mouthful, but we mean each of those words. We want, we want to give vision. In other words, we want to help lift your eye and your, your vision of getting beyond just the daily grind of making it through the muck and the mire of the stuff. We want to give you vision of what is family for? Why are we here? Okay, vision of parenting and marriage. What could it be? What could it be like? So we want to give you vision, and here's what we mean by that. We're going to talk about God's ideals in, in each of these segments, we'll talk about God's ideals. Now, when we talk about an ideal, here's what that usually will make you feel like. Guilty. <laughs> because none of us ever reach God's ideals in this world. I don't care how good you are. Whenever we talk about God's ideals, you likely, if you're connecting, you will feel like you're falling short, okay? But we still need to talk about God's vision and his ideals so it pushes us and stretches us and gives us something to go for. So we want to talk about vision. We want to, we want to give you help as well, meaning practical tools, ideas, resources, tips, whatever you might want to call it. We want to give you practical helps to support the vision and the ideals that we want to lay out. And we want to give you hope. In other words, um, we want you to know there is no situation, so hear this well, there's no situation beyond redemption, okay? No situation beyond being redeemed, being used for God's glory, being used for positive work here on this earth. I don't care if you've been divorced 114 times, okay? I don't care if you think you'll never get married or if you've done a terrible job in your mind raising your kids and now you're a grandparent or whatever. Whatever the situation is you feel like you're in, we want you to know that there's no situation, we believe, beyond the hope and the restoration of God, okay? So that's our, that's our belief right here. And our three categories, essentially, that we're going to talk about are families, marriages, and parents, okay? So if you think about the structure of where we're going, two weeks on family, two weeks on um, marriages, and two weeks on parenting, that's where we're going. So today, week one on family. We want it this morning. What my hope is in this little segment I have with you is to kind of lay out a quick ideal vision for the family. The way this will work in our series now, if you're a regular at GPC, this will be new. If you're not a regular, then hey, this is the new new for you, the new normal. The way this will work is that you see set up behind me this table and, and stools. Um, I'm going to try to get out of the way here in about, uh, well, in a few minutes, about 20 minutes or so. So I'm going to be shorter, more compressed. It'll feel weird for me. You might like it. Hey, you know, that might be great. All right. Um, but we're going to try to compress this thing down and give to you uh, a little more concentrated shot this morning. And then we have uh, basically a panel. We're team teaching this series. Uh, Chuck Holt, the director of the Factory Ministries, is sitting up here. He's going to join me up here. Joel Buffington, who uh, led the, uh, the prayer just now, our family pastor, will join up here as well. Together, the three of us will team teach through this home improvement series. And we will be taking your questions during this series. We have a fourth stool up here as well. That's for whoever falls asleep. We're going to have you come up here and answer all the hard questions that we have no idea how to answer. Um, it's good. This is for Shirley Mass. Shirley's going to be the moderator for this series, for this, um, this Q&A session with us. So the questions that you have, you can fire off to Shirley, 
and, uh, and we'll give you that number to do that. Here's the, the number to use. I'm going to put that on the screen for you, and I'll keep that on the screen, let that live on the screen for this morning so that as you're sitting there, we'd like you even now to be thinking about, as I go through my little spiel on God's ideal for families, like you to be thinking about, okay, mm, I'm not sure I agree. I want to push that idea out further and interact with the content this morning and fire off a text or what have you to this number up here, right? So that number is going to move down to the bottom side of the screen, and, um, and here we go. I want to ask you a question to begin, and that is this. Um, why family at all? If you were to be stopped on the way out of this uh, the sanctuary this morning and someone were to ask you, what's the point? What's the point of family? What in the world would you say? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think for a minute. I'm, I'm actually I'm going to stop talking. Awkward silence for a moment, all right? And I'm going to give you a moment just to think, maybe just 30 seconds. And I want you, if you have a, a smartphone, a phone, a, someone's, your own hand with a pen or your brain, you just want to think about it, but you can write it down, jot it down, make a, make a thought. Here's what I would say if someone were to ask me, what is the point of family? What's the purpose of family? If I were to be asked that, what would I say? Family, what's the point? All right, you ready? Go. Jeopardy theme music would have been good. What is the point of family? Get somewhere. Some of you are elbowing the other. No snide remarks about in-laws, okay, and, and family dinners, all right? What is the point of family, all right? You have something in your mind, something you're writing down? Good. Keep that in mind. Um, for the sake of discussion this morning, I want you to know this. I'm, I'm simply, when I talk about family, here's what I mean in its, in its most simplest way. I mean um, a, a couple with children. <laughs> now, not just a couple, but a couple with kids. Now, um, you this morning might find yourself not in that situation. Maybe you're married, maybe you're single, maybe you're divorced, um, maybe you've whatever. I think that's probably all the categories, but here's, here's the thing. You fit in a family anyway, okay? You fit in a family. You are someone's child, you're someone's sister, you're someone's aunt, someone's cousin, someone's grandparent, whatever it might be. You fit in the family somewhere. For the sake of clarity this morning, I want to speak about family as, when I use that word, I'm talking about um, couple with kids who are, who are having kids. Some of you, by the way, you need to know, um, have wanted to have children, but have not been able to. And I, I just want you to know, we understand the difficulty that is. Um, and we just acknowledge that and just want you to feel a home with that, that that is an incredibly trying time. Uh, so not everyone is able to have kids even though they want to. We understand that. For the sake of argument this morning, this is what I mean with family. Okay, so why family in the first place? All right, what I'd like to do is kind of raise your vision, raise your thinking of what family is all about. And so I'm going to go to some passages, and I'm going to have you turn to one passage in the Old Testament. So, okay, what's the point of family? If we go back to the beginning of, in, our, in our Bibles, you don't need to turn here yet, but I will have you turn somewhere in a minute. We go back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. Um, when God creates um, the world, 
he creates Adam and Eve, and then he offers them this commendation here in Genesis 1:27 up on the screen. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, this statement, be fruitful and increase in number, seems innocuous enough, seems safe enough and interesting enough as a standalone statement to, to mean, you know, that, hey, God wants, you only have Adam and Eve. I mean, what else is he going to do, right? I mean, just live the two of you on this whole earth for the rest of your life? No, be fruitful and increase in number. So as a standalone statement, like, eh, okay, that's a necessity. You're going to have to reproduce, right? All right? And Adam's like, yay, and he was like, okay, let's go, all right? So here we go. Here's what happens. If you know what happens after this, Genesis 3 comes into play, and we believe sin enters the world there. There's a fall of man. We call that sin enters the world. Bad things begin happening, all right? Cain, the, the, one of their sons, kills Abel, the other son. Talk about sibling rivalry. Okay, things are going bad in, in the, the first family. And then we have this little thing called the flood, okay? And if you've ever been to Sunday school and you know the story of the flood, which is what it sounds like, massive flood. Why? Because sin had kind of overcome the world, and God, Genesis records, God has grieved in his heart that even made man. He's like, I'm going to start over. And so he creates, if you will, this flood that kind of starts things over and pushes the reset button kind of on a recreation scenario almost. And then we move forward to Genesis chapter 9. And Genesis 9 is after the flood and Noah and the the ark have landed, and we're coming out of the ark, and we're ready to start over. We've gotten rid of sin, right? The flood has taken place, and here we go. And God's blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase the number and fill the earth, hearkening back to the first command to, to, the, to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and increase the number. And I was like, this is sounding familiar. I think you said this to Adam and Eve a long time ago, be fruitful and increase the number. And then just a few verses later in verses 7 to 9, God creates this covenant with Noah. And here's what he says again. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Not just with you, Noah, with whom I'm clearly pleased because you were the righteous man that I saved, but also with your descendants after you. This introduces a very interesting concept in the Old Testament story, the Old Testament narrative, that God has an interest in walking in relationship not only with a righteous man, Noah, but also with his descendants, with the people who will come after him, who do not exist yet. Okay? So Genesis 7, 9, 7 and 9. And then, even just a few chapters later in Genesis 17, God cuts, if you will, creates a new covenant with Abraham. Okay? Another stalwart of the faith. And here's what God says there. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Not just your God, Abraham, not just you, I, I care about you, but I have a bigger vision that you will be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Have I said that before in Genesis? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This rhythm of going over and over and over again. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Why? So that there will be more worshipers of God who will walk in relationship with me because I want a covenant relationship, not only with you, but with the people who have yet even to be born. 
so that there will be more worshipers of Yahweh, more worshipers of God walking around on this earth in relationship with me. There is this view in the in Noah's covenant, in Abraham's covenant, in the Old Testament movement in Genesis to say, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Why? So that they will be worshipers of God who are born into godly families, who are already worshiping God, that those children, their children, and their children will walk in relationship with a covenant God. Now, since this is true, we fast forward to the book of Deuteronomy, and this is where I'd like you to, to turn in your Bible if you have your Bible with you. The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Old Testament. It's the first part of your Bible. You open up, you find Genesis, and you go to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Do, a lot of history, as you can imagine, happened between Genesis and Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, here's the context for you. Deuteronomy 6 the nation of Israel, the people are set um, at the cusps of what we call the promised land. They have been promised the land, a territory as theirs, and now they are on the edge of that. They're about to take the land. And if you can imagine what um, would happen in your home if you are waiting for this moment, maybe some of you have um, seen your daughters or your sons get married or go off to college or graduate or get their first job or get their driver's license, okay? Some of those moments and you as a parent or you as a kid and your parents did this to you, you have a talk, right? You have like a big moment is about to happen. You're about to get married. You're about to drive. Like just in case all the parenting advice I tried to give you didn't stick in the last 18 years, here's what I want you to know. And there's this moment. And as a kid, you're like, you said that a thousand times, but I'll smile and I'll listen to you. And as a parent, you're feeling good because they're listening to you and they're just thinking, how soon is this over? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is that kind of moment where we're special moment right here. Spe bring it together. Let's get the priorities straight before we take the land. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. And here's what Moses is writing. These are the commands decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life hear O Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase Greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Verse 4. And here is what, uh, in, uh, in Israel's history, they call the great Shema, a Hebrew word, verb meaning listen, to listen. This is the great commandment that is the, the foundation of all of the moral commands that, 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 that give birth through the entire Old Testament into the New. This is the great foundation upon which how people are to respond to God. Hear, O Israel, listen now. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's important because of the polytheistic culture they lived in where there's many gods. The Lord is one. Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And these commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And just pause it right there. These commands today are to be upon your hearts. And this is good stuff, isn't it? I mean, this is a good moment. This is like, I mean, if you're a dad or a mom and you're, you're trying to think of a speech to give to your kid before they go out into the world and kind of take that on and own that, this is good. Like, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. I, I want this to stay on your heart in everything you do. This is good stuff, isn't it? I mean, this is a solid little speech thing. You might use this someday. Seriously, you might in that moment before your son, your daughter walks down the aisle, you might say, listen, no matter what happens, love God with absolutely everything you have. Everything you have. And what I find very, 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 very interesting is what Moses writes next, what he says next. After all of that, after all that big stuff, gathering the nation, this is the gathered nation together. Okay, This is not just one father with a son. This is the nation now gathered in a big assembly about to take on, take over the promised land. And in this moment, the very next thing, after this emphasis on love God in your own heart and soul, give him everything you have with all that you have in your being, love him with everything you have. The next most important thing to say to an entire nation about to take over the promised land is verse 7. Verse 7. Impress them on your what? Children. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your heart. And the very first way that we are to work this out, impress it upon your children. <laughs> but, but this is the nation of Israel about to take over the promised land. Okay, hold on, hold on. Hold on. We care about the next generation. Impress them upon your children. And talk about them when you're at home, when you lie down, when you get up all the time. Isn't that amazing? So here's what I'd like to suggest to you. You think about why family. Now go back to your answer to that. You were writing that down. You had this moment to think about it. Okay, go back in time now, five, ten minutes to where that time was. And you're like, that's a hard question. I'm not quite sure. What if the, an answer to that question is simply this? Why family at all? Why family? To impress upon children a love for God. To impress upon children a love for God. Why did God create family in the first place? To create as perfect a place as he could where little people could grow up and have the love of God impressed on their hearts at every turn. Morning till night to wherever they're driving to whenever they're eating at home all of the time. That what if your family is meant not only to be a place where you probably wrote down you know, to love each other, to care for each other, to help each other, to serve each other. Those are all great things. But what if they serve a bigger purpose? What if the bigger vision, the bigger focus of your family and mine is that your family exists to impress upon the children a love for God? To impress upon kids a love for God. This is what Moses says to an entire nation ready in the biggest moment of their history to take on what they're doing. Now think about it this way. If you could have your choice of one of two scenarios. If I could tell you that you could choose door number one or door number two for you or your children, which would you choose? Door number one, you could grow your kid up and, or you could be a kid growing up in a, in a, uh, with, with a godly church 
Godly government. Okay, don't think too hard about that one, okay? Godly school, but an ungodly home. Or door number two, ungodly church, ungodly government, ungodly school, but a godly home. What door are you choosing? It's not even a conversation, is it? You know intuitively, of course I'd choose a godly home. Of course I'd choose a place where I could infuse to the next generation the things that are most important. We already know the importance of our home, don't we? Especially when we see it that way. And so what if, for you and for me, the most important thing about how we see families, not just that we're a loving, supportive, caring family that gives each other presents and tries to raise children so they don't die, you know, because of whatever stupidity or, you know, whatever it might be along the way. What if it's, what if it's more than that? And what if, what if you, no matter where you are, whether you're single, okay, whether you're thinking about getting married, whether you're divorced, maybe you're never going to get married or whatever, that whatever role you play in the family structure that you are in, what if your role most important thing you can think about is how am I impressing upon the next generation love for God? And that's really the question that I have. The so what? What if this is the most important question? What part am I playing in impressing a love for God upon the next generation? What part am I playing? So it's not just about me getting married and finding someone I love and who loves me and feeling good and, and comfortable together. It's not just that. It's not the end of it. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. All the men are like, amen. Okay, no one got that at all. All right? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. All right? What if our vision, what if our vision is to impress upon kids a love for God? No matter what role you play in the family, the question is, what am I doing now to take this idea to impress upon kids a love for God? All right? So with that, I'm going to stop my deal. I'm going to stop talking. Try to can it. I'm going to invite, if you haven't texted anything yet, that number is still hanging out there on the screen, all right? There's our number. Fire those things off um, over here. Shirley's going to come moderate. Chuck, Joel, I invite you guys to come on up. Um, Shirley, why don't you come on up as well? We have a mic for you. Um, get that going. Uh, so here's the deal. If you don't have any questions, we're going to start making them up. Um, but um, bring them now. Okay, think about that. Uh, whatever you'd like to ask, um, and all of us will have a chance to respond to that. So Shirley... I'm going to turn it over to you, let you lead us here for a few minutes. Well, and for those of you that are like like my age and older and think, I don't know about how to do this newfangled texting, if you write your little note down on a piece of paper and hand it to the closest 20-something person, they'll text it. They, they know how to do that. It's all good. Uh, because I think we still probably have time for a little more, more questions. Before we get started, Joel and Chuck, do you want to give a response before we go to questions? Sure. Um, my mind went as um, as Tim was Tim was laying this out. My mind obviously went went two different places. First of all, it went to okay. Moses gave this challenge to the children of Israel, and they went in Joshua's generation. They went into the land. They fought all the battles, and then the next generation after that. In, recorded in, in the book of Judges totally turned away and we struggle with that 
And so a, a question is in the, middle, in, in, in the middle of, okay, these were godly people going, trying to pursue what God had called them to do. They lost their kids and their kids raised up. The Judges chapter two says that their kids didn't know God or the things that he had done for God. And I kind of scratched my head and I'm dumbfounded by that, by that, that reality. And so that leads to a, a number of questions and I'll let, uh, I'll let you formulate those on your, on your own because there, there are a, a bunch of questions that you could come up with as far as that is concerned. And yet God was still sovereign. They kept on pursuing the law. We, we, we know that God used the children of Israel. And so my, my thought there was, wow, these people were so busy doing work for God Perhaps they forgot to impress those things on their kids because they were so busy. The next thought was, I always go to the, my favorite book, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians rolls out God's beautiful eternal purposes. And his eternal purpose is to adopt us into his family so that his family can represent to the world the beauty, the grace, his incredible works. And then Paul goes on and, and lays out, you know, instructions to parents, instructions to kids, instructions to workers. And then he closes out his book saying, boy, this whole thing is going to be a big battle. You have no idea how hard this is. And then he closes out saying, please pray for me that I can share the gospel too and share it well. And so I echo what Tim is saying, that the family is to be a place uh, to send out representatives for Christ. But the doing of that is incredibly hard. And we don't have all the answers. And we're not sitting up here as a panel of experts, just as small spurts that uh, uh, are, are struggling along with you. So that, that's, those, those are my thoughts. As, uh, as, as I heard Tim this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Chuck Holt has no thoughts. Wow. <laughs> well, we do have some good questions here, I think. Um, and you can feel free to keep texting them because we have a little time yet. So I think I can talk and text at the same time. This will be fun. Um, I think one of the questions that came in um, was, was this. When you look at that question, why family? I mean, really, why is family important? It seems like such a simple question. But I think a lot of us really struggled with that. Well, well yeah, because it's what we've always done. It's because, why is that so hard to define? It's good. Yeah. I, think, I think for me, it was hard to define because I quickly realized how much I've fallen short of the ideal. You know, and um, even when I, even when Tim read the ideal, you know, why family, I thought of, okay, but that's not the real. That's not, you know, that's not what I've experienced in my life um, as a parent. Wanting to do that, but falling so short. So I think it was just looking at it and saying, okay, I think I know what he wants me to say, but it's hard because I don't know if I can honestly say that's what I've done all the time well. Anybody else was feeling that way, but 
my quick gut reaction is we it's hard to see the forest for the trees as they say I mean if you all have experienced that we're just going day by day with so many things that we have to do um, you know families come because couples get together and have little people right and that's part of what happens and you're excited about getting married then you're excited about the next step and you just kind of keep going and keep going and going and it's hard to stop it just it's just not an intentional thought we have of my family. Well, I don't know. It's just what you do. Like, why, why breathe? I don't know. Just what you do. So I think stopping and asking the question was helpful for me because I almost didn't have an answer the first time I asked it. Like, ah, uh, I don't know. I know what we do, but I don't know why we should think about a purpose. You know? Well, and I think then that that helps, that moves on again to kind of something that Chuck alluded to, which is we've hit that in a couple of different questions that have come in along the lines of, okay, if, if the purpose for family is, is to impress God's love on them, if that's the purpose, what if I messed it up? What if my kids are grown and I blew it? What if I tried to teach it to my kids and they didn't listen? or they didn't want to hear it, or they just flat out said, don't want to hear it. Uh, How do you redeem that? We just have Chuck deal with that next week. (laughs) And that'll be fun. Come back next week. We're we're going (laughs) to, I'll let you say more about that, but we are going to talk about that. Uh, We set up each of these two parts uh, with um, family, marriage, and parenting. We're going to hit ideal first, and then we're going to go down to real and the reality of where we are and deal with the tools and the reality of what life really looks like. Um, so we are going to deal with that a little bit more in particular next week. Yeah, I just think that I think it, the beautiful thing is as you look through Scripture, it's hard to find an ideal family yeah. that did it all right. And I say it's a beautiful thing because what that tells me is that wherever we are, whatever we've done, it's redeemable. God can take any dad, any mom, any family, and, and redeem it, no matter whether we've failed or messed up or haven't been as intentional as we should. And I think that's the hope side of it is that... Uh, it's not like it's done well by people who have, you know, who I wouldn't want to put myself in the same boat with. That's so, true. Yeah, because when you look through Scripture, you think, oh, there are stories in there that you look at and think, oh, at least I'm not that bad. <laughs> it's the truth. I mean, you look at Noah. God made a covenant with Noah, Genesis 9. Okay, Noah got drunk and laid himself bare before his family. Okay, that's really kind of semi-embarrassing, all right? And then Abraham, he let his, he told Pharaoh that, hey, she's not my wife, right? She's my sister, and you take her for a little while. I mean... Okay, and he makes a covenant with Abraham, right? And then David, I mean, really? David with adultery and murder, um, and he's a man after God's own heart. And so all these men are part of families, right? And they're part, and we look, people say, hey, I want to have a, a biblical family. Good, which one do you want to have, right? I mean, that may not be a good plan, you know, depending on what that is. Are you a little better now? <laughs> I just want to thank Tim for stealing my introduction next week. Now I've got to go back and start over. I appreciate it. No one actually listens to me anyway, Chuck, so you can take that next week and we'll all think that's fresh and good. But. Well, the, the, other, the other thought is that as, as you know, we're thinking about Old Testament characters, whatnot, you flip over to the New Testament, everywhere in the New Testament, particularly as, as Paul, God, God is using Paul to write his, his thoughts uh, to, to these churches, there's always a beautiful, hey, God is big and great and grand and glorious. And then he turns around and talk, starts talking to the church and he's talking to the church and he's just like, stop lying to each other and stop stealing and stop acting like you were before when you were a pagan. And so the beautiful thing about the scripture and about this study is that everyone is broken, period. And so there is hope, there is salvation, and every situation can be redeemed. And, and, and that's the, the wonderful thing that I, I see about understanding who family is, uh, who, who families are, 
understanding who God is and what his plan for us in order to represent him. Boy, what a privilege it is, but man, what a struggle. Well, and it's interesting because one of the questions that came in ties right into that where they're kind of referring to the fact that, um, at least I found this to be true, maybe you all haven't, that sometimes that, you know, our children will just like suck the lifeblood out of us sometimes. Sorry, kids, but it's true. You know, because, you know, you're working so hard to teach them and yet they're so very difficult and yet you just sort of alluded to the fact that um, maybe the rest of us are difficult sometimes too. And, <laughs> to, I don't know, maybe an encouragement to a parent who's saying, okay, I feel like I'm getting drain dry in trying to be faithful. And maybe that's coming in future messages as well. Yes. <laughs> we agree. Here's another question. And you know what? You all are sending in great questions and we probably won't have that much time and maybe we'll save some for next week. But... Um, so feel free to keep sending them in, because if there's ones that we can tie in next week, we'll do that, which means you have to go back next week to hear the answer. Here's, a, here's another question, though. You talked about, there was a couple times, Tim, that you referred to the be fruitful and multiply. He said it to Abraham, he said, I mean to um, Adam, he said it again to Noah. What do you say to the young couple who's very career-driven, and they say, you know what, God's called me to career, I'm not having children? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Uh, well, they, they, I didn't say it was an easy question. They, no, no, it's it's fair. <laughs> you needed to amplify that, didn't you? Yeah. All right. Here's the thing. Um, if we're going to run everything through the grid of scripture that we do, uh, so if if the person has has a view that says I am a follower of Jesus and I believe in the authority of the Bible, okay. Now I'm talking to that person, okay, that couple. In that scenario, then I would just simply say, okay, then let's talk about does your vision for your life match up with the authority of the scriptures? If, if the scriptures have authority over my life, do I get to choose whatever I want to do with my life, or is there a bigger purpose for what I want to do? While there might be an allure to making a bunch of money and being very career-driven and being very successful, um, what, is, what, is it, what is it that God has really called us and led us into as followers of Christ? Um, and if Deuteronomy 6 is true, then I have a hard time... Um, biblically seeing a rationale for people choosing not to have children who, who say that I follow the authority of the scriptures. It's different if you cannot have children. That's a whole other story. I think we understand that. It's also different if you don't hold the authority of the scripture. Then, you know, do whatever you want because you never said anyway, you know, that I'm under that. But so where I've come from is biblically speaking, I don't see that model in the scriptures. Rather, I see, again, coming back to Deuteronomy 6 and, and Genesis and even into, even into Malachi and then into John, that the idea that the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children, there's this constant desire for God to, um, to, to create, if you will, almost like discipleship centers in the home where children's hearts are turned to God. Well, you can't have their hearts turned to God if they don't exist in the first place. So uh, choosing not to have children as a believer is one where I struggle with seeing that be biblically defensible is maybe the easiest way to put that non-controversial answer and I and I agree with that so what I'm going to say doesn't contradict that but I also think it's the responsibility with our own children is there but also responsibility you know with the extended family and we'll talk more about that but it's not just pressing upon them on your children but just the whole culture we want to create where if I'm an 
aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or, you know, or whatever, I have a responsibility. I think we want to be as intentional about it with our own children. We want to be just as intentional with perhaps not our own children, but other children in our family, and maybe even I don't, other children in our congregation, our church family. Um, I just realized we're getting really close to the end of the time. So for those of you that sent in really fantastic questions that we didn't get to, I apologize. We'll pull them back for next week or I'll get them back to you guys for this look because there's some really good questions here that we just weren't able to cover this morning. But I'll turn it back. Good. All right. Thank you, Shirley. All right. Thanks for your interaction. We'll keep doing this about 10 minutes uh, of this kind of thing at the end of, of each of the messages in the next several weeks. All right. Um, hey, let's do this. Um, if you can join me, let's stand together. Let's pray. And, uh, and then we'll invite the worship team to come on up. Let's pray together, guys. Father, thanks so much for the opportunity this morning to gather together in worship, in song, and in mind, and in heart, uh, to think together about families and really um, what your ideal might be. We understand we fall short. We are... <laughs> We, we fall so short, and we're going to talk more about that next week. But give us grace, strength, um, and vision um, to begin doing the things that perhaps we have needed the nudge to do. I pray for our, our men who are not yet married to, to see women not just as prizes to be had, but also as partners for life and their responsibility and opportunity uh, to create families and shape them and pass on their faith as the leaders and the servants in their home. I pray that you give them that vision, that courage to lead into that. While that may or may not be uh, popular among their friends, give them that strength of mind and resolve of heart to do that. And for our wives, for our women, to continue to, to kind of feed that uh, desire to know you, to serve you, to love you well in the context of the, the home and, and, and if they're called the workplace in that, but in supporting their family as well as a priority here. So Father, we ask for your wisdom, your direction to do what we know we need to do with what we heard this morning, to impress upon our children and the children within our family a love for you, no matter what role we play in that family right now. We pray this in Jesus' name.